Blog Talk Radio. Choices, decisions, frustrations, and pain. Knowing I'm going to forget her someday. While I still can, I'll challenge all my loved ones, every friend, to look inside their hearts and understand that I. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I am so excited to have you with us today on the show because it's going to be a fantastic one. We have Jackie Poole from the U.K. with us, who is incredible. And um, But before we get started uh, with our first guest, we get a lot of new listeners. So I want to, first of all, tell you a little bit about Alzheimer's Speaks and why we exist. Um, Alzheimer's Speaks really was created as an advocacy-based company to provide multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture around the world from crisis to comfort. Um, I'm the founder, Lori LeBay, and I am a firm believer that the only way we are going to make progress here is to work together. I've personally been on this journey with my own mother for 30 years, and I know a lot of you never imagined that it could last that long. She's still healthy, and she's been in her end stages for four years. So, you know, it just proves a point that we never know with dementia what this disease is about. And so we have to be prepared. And I think one of the best ways we can do that is by sharing our knowledge and having everyday conversations about life with dementia so that we can remove the stigmas attached to memory loss and help those in the trenches um, pull back their lives and live with purpose. Together, we really truly can understand the real needs of this disease and remove those myths and remove those stigmas and get rid of that isolation. It's so sad. We see it all the time. Collaboratively, you know, we're, we're going to win this battle. I, I have no doubt about that at all. And I have to thank each of our listeners from the bottom of my heart. It has been through your commitment, your your clicks, your sharing our information with your friends, your family, your coworkers that has allowed us at Alzheimer's Speaks with all of our platforms to become the number one influencer online uh, for Alzheimer's, according to Share here in Dr. Oz. So I hope you can continue that support. And again, if you just click on those little tabs of of liking and tweeting and sharing it with your LinkedIn groups, those things are very, very powerful. So don't discount them. Um, I also hope that you will go to alzheimerspeaks.com and see all of our other platforms. We have a blog that's been going on for Oh, gosh, over four years, so there's tons of information there. Um, We do webinars called Dementia Chats, which I invite you to participate. Those are done on the second and fourth Tuesday of every month, and they're free. And we would love for you to be part of that with us. 
Um, if you're listening and during the program you decide you want to communicate with us, you can use your chat box or you can always call in live. And that number is 714-364-4757. Again, that's 714-364-4757. And I always like to mention to people, because we have people listening all over the world, if you're looking for an Alzheimer's Association and some support, um, go to Alzheimer's Disease International. You can just Google that or you can go to www.alz.co.uk and they will have a list of all the associations throughout the world so you can find the one closest to you. And I always like to mention my friends at Coral Health that just rolled out that new app called Music First, which I highly recommend you check out and try. You can get three hours of um, customized music to use for yourself. And then patient um, uh, access um, is having a study um, for Tau, and you can just go to alzheimerstudies.com to get more information on that. So let me go ahead and introduce this wonderful woman um, that I'm bringing to share her her wisdom with us today. Jackie Poole's background is wide and diverse and so filled um, that I, I can't do it justice. But uh, So I'm just going to highlight a few things for you. She is an expert in dementia care with a reputation for quality and innovation. She is consistently developing um, new training um, practices and materials, and she is regularly published in peer-reviewed journals and textbooks. She's a frequent speaker at national and international conferences. Jackie has sat on the reference group for the National Dementia Strategy, which was Living Well with Dementia in 2009, and she was commissioned by the Skills for Care to write the National Dementia Care Qualification Framework. She has almost 29 years um, specialty experience in dementia care, first working as an occupational uh, occupational therapist um, and support worker, and then qualifying in 1988 as an occupational therapist herself. She um, she is just so absolutely incredible. She now has her own company uh, where she sets up leadership and training programs at Jackie Poole and Associates. So I just like I said, I am just thrilled to death to have to have Jackie with us. How are you doing? And welcome, Jackie. Thank you very much, Laurie. I'm doing well, thank you. Gosh, that was a really lovely introduction. Thank you. <laughs> well, you are just a, such an amazing woman. And I get so, I mean, I love my job because I get to talk to people like you. And I get to hear all these wonderful things that you're doing. And and what's even more important to me is your willingness to share them, you know, with the world. Um, because none of us can do this alone. And so, I, like I said, you're just doing so many fantastic things. I just can't even wait for this conversation to start. So okay, I guess I okay. just have to shut up and we can get started here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, 
why don't some, I always like to ask my guests that one first question, and that is, Jackie, have you been personally touched by dementia with, you know, family or friends yourself? Oh, yes, yes. Um, yes, um, actually, many, many years ago, and, and probably at that time, um, I was a, a, a young child and didn't really know much about dementia, but there again, I don't think many of us did. My um, One of my grandmothers had, had dementia, uh, but we didn't really recognize it as such at that time. But more recently, um, my mum, my own mum has, has dementia as well, um, so we've been on that journey with her too. Wow. it's It's amazing how things just pull together and you know for me I mean I never in a million years would have thought I went down this path even though I had an aunt that crushed my heart when I was 13 years old when she didn't remember my name you know as you grow up you Mm -hmm. kind of let that go but then with my own mother having this um, struggle for 30 years now I mean I, I can't walk away from it it's it's my life it's my passion and I just See so many things that need changing, um, which I know from our conversations um, you see as well. Let's start out yeah. with describing what is a dementia champion? What does that mean uh, to you, and okay. how does that work? Mm. Well, it's a good question. Oh, oh, I, I don't know if it's a phrase that's used in other parts of the world, but here in the UK, um, it's been used in several different ways, um, to be honest. So um, nobody's absolutely clear what that role is. And I think that's probably a good thing because, in fact, I think a dementia champion can, can be a person in many different roles. I think it's more about the qualities of an individual rather than the particular job that they do. So, I mean, essentially, it's somebody who, I think, who's got the the vision and the courage to make changes for the better for people with dementia. And it can be as much about championing the cause of people with dementia, but it can also be about championing the cause of people who support people with dementia as well. So family carers, but also professional carers in care settings, because, you know, as we know, it's... um, it's not always an easy job. It's a very fulfilling job, I think, because of that. Uh, but people do need championing, need some support. So really, I think somebody who, who fulfills that, that, um, that role is somebody who, who certainly has got um, a lot of knowledge and hands-on experience. Um, it's no good having somebody with, uh, who's done all the, the learning and got all the qualifications but doesn't know what it's actually really like um, when you're there with people. Uh, and then on top of that, I think there has to be a real passion uh, and a commitment and a drive to um, to make changes happen and an ability to communicate to others and to share knowledge and to inspire others. Um, so many things, really. Does that, does that describe it, do you think? Yeah, I do. And I, I love what you said is, you know, there there really isn't one one definition because I, I think that's where we get stuck is when we think we have it figured out. Um, that to yes. me is when we lose our creativity and we, we stop really um, looking at the big picture and the big needs because we think yes. we think we have it all covered. So I love I love that openness and that flow. Um, you know, we've taken the the Memory Cafe, um, the UK pretty much gave it to us and, and actually even rewrote the guidelines and just said, you know, develop them and they will come. And we have all different types of them now. And we've, we've taken that philosophy of listen to the people and what do they need and, and go from there. Let that be your base. 
instead of being an organization that says, I I have a service and this is what it is and now you will come. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, we, we, we start there a little bit, but it's just a much more open philosophy. So I, I really, I, I really um, embrace that myself a lot. Can you tell our audience why you think um, it's so important to have these dementia champions? Oh, yes, yes. I think... Um I think people, well, the service, the service to people with dementia, um, it's very easy to, um, to only see the negatives. And I'm not by any, uh, you know, any means saying that um, having dementia um, is um, something that people celebrate um, when, <laughs> when, they, when they get that diagnosis and realize that, you know, they've got these difficulties by any means. But um, I think it's also important to recognize that, the, that people with dementia can live well with dementia, hence the title, the subtitle of our national dementia strategy over here. Um, and so I think to have a dementia champion is somebody who can um, put the positive story and show people what is possible rather than only the negative and, um, and what the difficulties are. Um, you know, I, m- I mentioned earlier on about, um, when I said about my mum, about how, um, going on this journey with her. And I think it is a journey and it need not necessarily be um, all, all the negative. In fact, my own mum, I think I would say that um, she's very content uh, most of the time and um, is, is certainly having a high quality of life. Um, she's enjoying life in some ways probably more fully now than before she had dementia, in fact. Um, so I think the, the importance of a dementia champion is somebody who, who literally is leading the way, shining a light um, to show the positives because in the media, as we know, um, so many so often what we hear are the negative stories uh, and I think we need to counteract those. I'm very, very aware that um, certainly over here in the UK that um, these negative stories cause um, people who who don't have um, a lot of experience in in, in the field to then think, well, you know, this is how it must be for everybody and therefore then there becomes a very negative um, attitude towards the sorts of care services that could be available for people. So, you know, I think to be able to counteract that and show what's possible and have a much more positive image of, for example, care homes, that as long as they are good care homes with the right dementia champion leading them, uh, can be a really wonderful place for people to go. And it should never be seen as a negative choice. It, what we need to do is change that round into being a positive choice of somewhere um, that can uniquely offer people um, a service that's going to help them to, to live well. Uh, one of the things I was going to say as well, Laurie, is that I'm very interested in um, for dementia champions when we think about the qualities. Um, on the uh, the leadership course that I, I run, which is our, our Be Inspired Leadership Program, um, I talk to um, people who come on that about how inspirational leaders need to have um, five ways of thinking. And it's, it's, that's drawn from um, Howard Gardner, who's from the Harvard University's um, five Five Minds of the Inspirational Leader. I don't know if you've heard of that. No, I haven't. Uh-uh. Okay. Do you want me to just tell you very briefly a little bit about that? Because I think that's probably quite helpful to think about a dementia champion then. I would love that. Thank you. Okay, right. So so um, what Har- Howard Gardner says is that um, dementia, uh, sorry, the, um, these inspirational leaders have five different ways of thinking. These are the five minds and that, you know, to be an inspirational leader, we need them all. It's not just one or the other. Um, and the five minds, the first one is to have a, a, a disciplined mind. And that is about paying really good attention to the learning, uh, really 
getting all the information that you can, um, routing that out, uh, finding all the different resources that are available and being very up to date, for example. And I think that's really important that we must have as much knowledge as we can about dementia and all the causes and the way that it affects people. But having got that information and that discipline, if you like, about dementia care um, firmly um, held within ourselves, the next um, type of mind is a creative mind. And I think this is where it starts to get interesting. So a creative mind takes us all that information from the discipline and then starts to get creative with it. And earlier on, I said to you about having um, a, a, a dementia champion has vision and courage. And I think having a creative mind then helps you to have those visions about, okay, so now I know all this information, what can I do with it? What steps can I take beyond what we currently know? What can I try out? And I think that's what helps to lead us into new developments and new new, new areas. Um, and, you know, we've got to try these out if we're going to uh, uh, come up with the successes. Of course, we have failures as well, but creativity is so important. And Gardner says that, you know, that's the one area where often people can be crushed when they want to try creative ideas, that others can crush them, and that's the bit that we really need to nurture. Um, the third way of thinking, the third style, is synthesis, um, to have a synthesizing mind, and really that's about taking um, all the different elements of the different disciplines that we actually do draw on when we're, for example, delivering good care. So um, I describe this in the courses that I run, of course, that if... Um, if you're running a care home, then you have the discipline of, I hope, good person-centered care philosophy, but you'll also have the discipline of good business management. You'll have the good discipline of uh, applying um, the uh, legislation and the policies and procedures. You'll also you have many other disciplines, and the synthesizing mind can pull all these together and, and not just do what I call silo thinking, but, but be able to pull them all together and see how they all work together for the better benefits of the people who are receiving the care. And the other two um, uh, types of thinking are uh, respectful mind and ethical mind. So that's, I think, respectful mind probably speaks for itself, and the ethical mind is, is about the values and beliefs that underpin the, um, the service that we're delivering. So for me, I, I come from a humanistic um, frame of reference. So that is that everybody's got the potential for development, no matter what disability, disabilities they've got. There's always abilities too, and those are what we need to um, draw on. So that's what I mean by the, the five minds. And I think a dementia champion can bring those um, to the table, to the services, wherever they are, um, and, and to help people to uh, get the best quality of life possible. Oh, I love it. I hope that's okay. <laughs> no, no, because I, I think that that really does define and shows what's needed because I think so much of the time, you know, we, we talk in terms of people staying in the box, you know, and being formulated, and it's so much more than that. I mean, the box is important, you know, because it's a, it's a holding container. Um, but, you know, all these other pieces are just so critical in terms of being able to to approach things differently and to really be able to listen to the multitudes and the diversity, especially with this disease, because, you know, we always talk about, you know, if you've seen one person with Alzheimer's or dementia, you've seen one person with Alzheimer's or dementia. Well, then multiply that times their care partner and then multiply that times the environment that they're in. And it's constantly changed. 
changing. And so it's so critical to be able to be spontaneous and draw upon a pool of knowledge and resources um, to really, I think, live well and to be able to um, remove those stigmas and to live proud. You know, you shouldn't be embarrassed because you have a disease. Um, or you're caring for someone with a disease, but we see that so often. You know, if someone's got, you know, cancer, they're not embarrassed because they're sick, you know, if they've got heart disease. But with dementia, um, we see that a lot, or I I do anyways. I don't know if you would agree with that statement or not, but... Oh, no, I I do agree. I think people are, you know, they say, don't they, that dementia is kind of now following the same route that that cancer did, uh, or, you know, that... um the 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 way that people think about it. I mean, that um, you know, cancer was something that people didn't talk about and kept hidden and were um, scared to talk about, and and that's come out of the shadows now, and people are much more open about it. And dementia over here in the UK, we're beginning we on that that journey, but um, still people feel as a great stigma attached and I think I mean I I wonder sometimes about um you know the philosopher who said I think therefore I am actually did us a great disservice because it kind of implies that if you can't think so clearly perhaps you're not and of course we know that's a nonsense it's about being isn't it rather than thinking that um that's important to us very very much so that that is a really good um distinction as well you know with that can you give us um some examples of different types of dementia champions that you're seeing over in the UK Mm, yes, yes, I can. Yes, well, we, um, as I said, mentioned earlier on, I have this um, program called the Be Inspired Dementia Care Program, and um, that's for helping people to develop their skills as dementia champions. And um, the kind of people who come on those courses are very varied. Actually, we have um, qualified nurses, we have occupational therapists, uh, we have activity providers and coordinators. Um, but um, also we have um, a, a very occasionally I have to say at the moment I'd like it to be more um, family members coming along uh, volunteers who are working in uh, voluntary services as well so it's quite a range and I think it can be anybody who can can inspire others really um, who, who can take on that role I do think for the, for the Be Inspired program particularly though I do say as well it also needs to be somebody who has got the remit to be able to make change happen. So, you know, somebody who can, especially in um, formal care settings, um, that they are people who can say, um, you know, lead the way and say this needs to change and that people are going to follow that. I think that can be quite important sometimes. Otherwise, um, you can feel a bit like a lone voice and nothing changes. Yeah, I think you do need to have that quality of being a little bit of a Pied Piper, mm-hmm. um, you know, where you can get the troops to follow you. And um, and yeah. I think you have to approach it, you know, one of the things that drives me absolutely bananas here in the U.S., and I don't know if, if this was a battle you guys ever um, felt, but, you know, we, we tend to like to um, try to motivate people by fear, and it just it drives me just right up a wall because I, I like to drive people mm. by hope and promise and use that creativity to empower people um, instead of keep cramming them in the box. <laughs> so and yes, say that we're yes, say that we're limited. Are you, do you are you are you familiar with um, appreciative inquiry as an approach? No, Which, I'm not um, exactly with that one really either. Describe- 
yeah, appreciative inquiry. Okay. So it's about appreciating the good things, really, um, mm-hmm. as, a, as, a, as an approach, uh, rather than um, problem-solving approaches, um, I use appreciative inquiry approaches. So, for example, um, if I'm working with a care setting uh, and getting them to look at the culture of their care, uh, in order to to develop it and and make it you know make improvements then um for example one one thing i'll do is get um, get people get the care workers to have lunch have a meal with the residents in the care home uh, but what i want them to do while they're having lunch with them joining them for lunch is to look at the both the physical care setting and also the social care setting around that dining which is such a wonderful experience to be able to do that and look at all the good things that are happening and then think about how they can focus on those and make them happen more. So it appreciates, it, it builds from identifying the good uh, rather than um, that kind of fear focus that can happen if, if you're getting uh, care workers to identify the negatives, then they immediately they're going to feel as though they're doing something wrong and it's really important you know to bring them on side and help them to to build on on the good stuff and because if we're trying to um trying to trying to uh, support this idea of this culture of a person-centered approach towards people with dementia we've got to apply the same approach to the people who are delivering the care as well if we demoralize them then we can't possibly expect them to deliver person-centered care to somebody else very good, very very good point, and I think that that happens a lot in uh, in our workplaces and also at home. I mean, I um, oh, I, I think I fell into that trap with my brothers, and I didn't even know it. But because of my perfectionism, um, they just felt they could never meet my demands, and so they said, "Okay, you know, do it," and they just kind of walked away, mm. and and then I then I got mad. But I had a big piece I played in that, um, and I didn't realize it because I was just I was kind of the driver in the family and the organizer, and that was my role. Um, but I didn't realize um, all the outcomes of that personality style, and it wasn't inclusive. And uh, you know, I've really learned to let go of my perfectionism now, um, so that in realizing that things can get done in multiple ways, and that it's important that. They get done in different ways because, you know, it would be a pretty boring life if everything was delivered in the same fashion. You know, we turn into the Stepford yeah. Wives and, yeah. and things there. Um, can you um, talk a little bit um, in terms of the U.K.? And you guys just have such a massive presence. I mean, I just bow to you every morning. I get, I, I look at the Google <laughs> stuff, and, and you guys have so much going on. And I'm like, you know, for every 50 things you guys are doing, the U.S. has one, you know, if that. <clears throat> and we, we just aren't working as a team over here. How... How have you guys done that? How have you really, um, you know, just all embraced this, you know, dementia-friendly and dementia champions, and um, you're having these wonderful open conversations that are still, for the most part, very taboo here in our country. Um, there, are, There's a lot more talking about it, but, I mean, for the most part, it's, it's not out in the open. We're still locked in the closets, and it makes people very uncomfortable to have conversations about dementia. Okay, right, that's interesting. I don't, right, all right, well, 
Hmm, where do I start? Well, I suppose, um, as you know, we've got our, our national dementia strategy, uh, which was um, back in 2009. Um, but of course, we've, I think probably the very first point where it was about, um, I think, about bringing hope into the equation, really, for how we are able to do something about dementia that was one of the, the key turning points. Um, for, for, for the UK and that came about in the early 1990s um, led by a really charismatic um, individual called Tom Kitswood and um, he was working with um, a university up in the north of the country um, as a psychologist and he was actually asked to go into a dementia care daycare facility to do a, a, an audit, I think, of, of um, how the service was doing. And so he, he went there with his um, kind of psychologist hat on uh, and used a, um, had got a few assessment tools that he was going to use. But he discovered, of course, that while the assessment tools were helpful for um, looking at the physical environment, and so they could kind of measure whether the room size is adequate and whether enough chairs and enough toilets and all those kinds of things, um, and there were tools for looking at the um, job satisfaction of the staff in the in the facility, but the tools that were there for looking at the um, the experience of people with dementia that were using the service really weren't adequate because um, they they would have been fine if um, it, except for the fact that they were purely about interviewing people and not everybody in the service was able to respond to that kind of interview process. So. That was a kind of big turning point, really. Tom then um, started to think about um, what was going on in the field of dementia care and why were people with dementia, why were their voices not being heard? Why were, why were they being excluded? And from that, he, he, one of the very early papers that he wrote was actually called um, The Dialectics of Dementia with particular reference to Alzheimer's disease. And I read that um, in 1990 and got very excited about it because he made a proposal that actually dementia was far more than just the neurological damage caused by conditions such as Alzheimer's disease. And he made a proposal for an equation of um, several factors that combined into this picture of dementia as a disability. And um, those factors included, of course, the, the, the neurological damage, but also um, the, what he called the, the social psychology. Um, so the, in other words, the way that individuals affect the emotions and the behaviors of each other plus the personality of each individual and their life story and their biography and also of course their, both their physical and their mental health and I think that was a, a massive turning point it certainly was for me I got very excited when I, when I read that paper and uh, I wrote to Tom and then um, eventually I, I, um, I worked with him for, for a number of years and um, he, he was really I think single-handedly almost began to turn around the whole reframing of dementia in this country to seeing it from being purely a medical model into being a what we called the person-centered model, which brings all those factors together. And what was wonderful was it, 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 because it gives us all a sense of hope because we can't maybe do much at the moment um, about the conditions that cause dementia. Um, and I suppose you could say we can't change somebody's personality and life history, but we can certainly do a lot about their health. And most certainly we can do something about the way that we engage with people and we can either nurture them or undermine them. 
And so I think um, that whole framework and the idea of person-centred care was the beginnings then of um, this sea change, this whole kind of um, wave of change that happened, uh, which has led us up to our national dementia strategy. And of course, our government has begun to recognise um, that something has to be done because, as we know, the um, number of people with dementia across all our countries is increasing, not because the prevalence is increasing, but just because people are living longer. And so realising that there's something we can do through these other approaches is very valuable to our government as well. So they have got on, to, on board with that and started to look at non non-pharmacological ways of, and non-medical ways that we can also support people to live well. Just, that well, was a very long answer, Laurie. Sorry. <laughs> oh no, no, no! You're just I, you're doing a great job. So, um, no, I think it's it's very interesting on how things, you know, it, you know what what starts, you know, what's that spark that that can get that campfire mm-hmm. going, and um, get that flame burning. I think it's very interesting how it transpires, um, you know, in our world today. And I, you know, I just think it's um, it's something I am working very, very hard on, um, you know, trying to make change here in the U.S. And, you know, my my vision, of course, is globally, all of us merging together and um, really supporting one another with with information and knowledge, um, you know, to, to fight this battle. One of the things that um, I love, you know, when you were talking about being, you know, person-centered from that medical model and I, I personally think that it needs to shift into the research aspect as well because, um, and not everyone agrees with me on this, but I think that there is so much that can be done on an environmental basis to um, allow people to live a more fulfilled life with dementia. And right now, you know, we're pouring a lot of money into research, which is, is still underfunded and is still needed, so don't get me wrong with that. But we are not seeing anyways here in our country um, even close to similar amounts being put into support services, um, helping people live well with dementia today and in the near future. And one of my beliefs is, is that if we would put more money into those social supports, we could really get um, a better idea of what this disease actually is because so much of it is behavior-oriented due to, um, you know, our lack of knowledge in terms of environmental controls and in different ways to interact. And instead of giving people a pill to try to fix something when maybe we can approach it different, use a different tone of voice or position somebody, you know, in a, in a different manner so they're not getting glare from light or, um, you know, the reverberation of sound. Um, to me, it, I would think it would be easier for those scientists to really be able to find out what is it that would help. I mean, I know that the brain is deteriorating, but really it's the side effects that people you know, of any type of disease that people want to be dealt with, you know, until there's a cure to be found. And so in my mind, it would make more sense to really put money into, 
removing a lot of these reactions that we like to call behaviors when they don't fit into our mode and help people live well so we really know what are the symptoms of this disease because I don't think we really know. What are your thoughts to to that line of thinking? Oh, yes. Well, I, I I agree with you. I think um, you know we. And that's why I like. Uh, and, and over here, we use the idea of um, of dementia as being this disability rather than an illness or a disease. That of course there are the conditions, um, diseases such as I said earlier on as Alzheimer's and Lewy body disease and so on. But the disability is uh, you're quite right. It's caused as much by you know if if somebody's got those cognitive impairments happening it's then going to have an impact on on their their behavior because um it's going to the 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 the, impair, the impairments of the function of the brain are going to make it more difficult if you like for somebody to be able to find their way or um as you said to to deal with glare or or to make sense of what somebody's saying or what they're reading and so on so you know we, we if we can't if we can't alter what's happening in the brain we can certainly do it from the other end and and adjust um the the environment to compensate for that impairment and then then the disability doesn't happen and you know we're very good we we know so much uh, and we already understand that concept for people with physical disabilities we we now we do have don't we we have these um altered environments physical environments we make sure most places now have um they have uh, electronically opening doors in the public you know public buildings I'm, I'm meaning and we have dropped curbs so people can get up and down them easily if they've got wheelchairs we have wider corridors we understand all that but we haven't done the same for people with cognitive disabilities and if we got that right um, it would be so much more helpful to us all, never mind people with cognitive disability. So, you know, um, over here we've got these dementia-friendly communities. I'm just um, about to start helping my um, local um, community doing a, um, doing a bit of uh, voluntary work with them. But um, we're going to have dementia-friendly high streets, so we'll be working with groups of shops to help them to realise how you can do the same sort of thing for people with cognitive disabilities, just with some good signage. You know, for example, you go into um, public toilets and you're lucky if you can find the signs, see the signs that actually say toilets and have a picture that is going to be helpful. But when you get into the public ones, often there's more than one cubicle. When you come out, the problem can be for somebody with dementia, all those doors look alike and they might have got in there. Coming out might be equally a problem and just purely an exit sign on the top of the way out might be a good a good idea. So there's many things we can tweak that don't need to... Um, you know, uh, kind of undermine somebody's sense of, of, um, of self-esteem, but would just be helpful to us all. And equally, of course, they're going to um, reduce disability. Well, and I I love that looking at it and phrasing it as a disability versus a disease. I'm gonna I'm gonna start using that um, much more because um, we really do look at it as a disease, and we have been you know equating it almost to a cancer, heart disease, and, mm-hmm. and all of those types of things. And and there's some validity to um, some point, but I think it really makes much more sense to go um, utilizing it as a disability. I think over here in the U.S. they're scared to death about using it as a disability just because of funding purposes, too. Um, Because because people just have to battle to get Social Security disability and many times will have to apply um, two, three, and even four times to get coverage. 
And um, and that's but you know what sad. you were saying. It, mm-hmm. Sorry, Lori, go on. Oh no, no, Sorry, go ahead. I was, I was saying, but you, as you as you were saying though, it's the functional problems that somebody has um, that is, it impacts on their lives, whether it's social function or or doing things function, and so that that's. Um, the disability. I, I kind of dis- describe dementia as the umbrella f- term, um, the word dementia, for all the difficulties that people have doing things. And the, that, those are caused by the impairments in the brain, um, mm-hmm. but also caused then on top of that by the way people um, set up around that person either helpful buildings or bewildering buildings. And also it's people that relate to each other and can either be nurturing or undermining in the way they relate to them so so you know of course we do have the diseases and and the um uh, alzheimer's and so on but i i i tend to use the analogy of, of when we say we've got a cold that's the umbrella term for um the the sore throat runny nose etc and those are all you know and the difficulties that the, then we have because of those are the functional problems but the cause of the cold is the rhinovirus, just as the cause of dementia is Alzheimer's disease. And I think it's really important to get the distinction between what are the conditions and what are the functional problems. And that the functional problems, the, the overarching name for those is this word dementia. And then we're into that. I, th- I just think that opens a lot more doors then for thinking about, okay, so in that case, what can I do to get over these problems? So we can either look for... Um, what I call scaffolding, things that that compensate um, for the person's disability, such as the use of assistive technology or or, or tweaking the environment with different coloured doors or signs and so on. But also we can then begin to look at um, uh, restorative strategies as well of helping the person uh, do some um, relearning using methods that are going to be helpful to them. Uh, I'm I'm just at the very beginning of a big, um, research study here in the UK. Uh, we've got uh, six sites around the UK with uh, occupational therapists going in. Uh, in total, we'll have worked with 480 people with dementia by the time we've finished. Using those kinds of strategies, as, um, using what we're calling it, it's a cognitive rehabilitation program. Um, and at the end of it, we'll be able to see what the impact has been on individuals using that rather than using um, uh, medication approaches so that that will be interesting when we get to the other end it'll be a few years away before we get there well that'll be really really interesting you're correct um and you'll have to keep us posted on that we'll have to have you back will do yeah um, I would like to just um, throw out to our audience, if anyone is listening and has a question for Jackie, please don't be shy. You can go ahead and use the chat box, or you can call in live to the show at 714-364-4757. Again, that's 714-364-4757. Um, in the meantime, Jackie, can you maybe give a couple of pointers to um, first family members and then businesses on what could they do? What are some simple things they could do to help be a dementia champion in their own in their own world? There. Okay, right. Um, what could they do? Well, um, first of all, I think it's about spreading good practice. I think that's really important, and um, I'll talk about that in a moment. But just to say, it's a good point to say, it. we've actually, or I've um, 
created, and I know you're a member of it, we've got um, a LinkedIn group called Dementia Champions. And so anybody who's listening who wants to join that group, um, take a look because that is absolutely for spreading good stories, the positive stories. Because I think we've got to start from there. We've got to identify what's possible rather than only dwell on um, what the negatives are. Uh, and so that's a really good good place to to share those stories and of course I know there's also on, on your site too as well Laurie um, on our uh, we also have um, a resource on our uh, website which is free for both families and for professionals to use and we're getting um, really amazing um, comments coming back from that now as well that's the the site is um, the three W's and then dementia-champions.org and on there there's lots and lots of information about um, uh, what you can do with the building, what you can do with the team, and what you can do with both the leadership and the management. So I think those are the three critical areas to, to break down, to look at. So with the building, um, I talk about making the building um, dementia-friendly. And so uh, really, we'll, you can do some quite um, uh, global sort of changes to the environment that are going to perhaps help um, several different people but if you're a family member living at home you'd need to know what the difficulties are for your person you know that you're looking after and supporting and um, uh, and, and then uh, you'd know exactly what to put in to support them so do, if you look on our that site that might well help you um, so I mean a very very small example uh, but a fairly common one is that sometimes and this has certainly happened for me when I've been to visit people they um, I seem to talk about toilets a lot and I don't know if it's my background as an occupational therapist but quite <laughs> often I, I visit people and they, um, they have difficulty using the toilets and it might not actually be about using, physically using the toilets actually what the, the problem might be is when they get to the bathroom door, for some reason or other, they're not then going in and, 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 and finding the toilet. And that, for example, it depends on where the damage is for somebody. So it could be uh, that they're not recognizing the toilet, and that might be a visual recognition problem. So a family carer can help that person by presenting that object, the toilet, to them in a different way. So, for example, just reaching in and flushing the toilet, the sound of it might trigger the recognition of what it is if they're not visually recognizing it because it's very two very distinct areas of the brain that store those those memory images for that particular object so i suppose what i'm saying is if somebody has problem relating to something in their world that they need to use don't present it just through the one sense try the five senses and that might help because somebody's maybe got a problem processing through one sense, but some of the others might still be working fine. So that, that's kind of what, one tip that I would say. I, I want to just comment Sorry, on, on, on utilizing um, all the senses. That is just such a simple thing to do, um, but is so often overlooked and is so powerful. Um, in terms of connecting and um, and working with people, so I appreciate you you bringing that up. Um, and I didn't mean to to um, interrupt you there, so so go ahead. But I just wanted to uh, highlight that point. Yes, thank you, thank you. Um, and then and you asked about the um, care providers, and I think for care providers, I think there's two two combined elements. One is about the leadership. And one is about the, the and, and it's leadership of the team and and I think having a really strong 
team approach and seeing everybody in that team as having an equal value, maybe all doing different jobs, but all equally important. Um, and the team themselves need to be um, given the right training. Uh, and it's no good, I think, in dementia care giving people a quick couple of hours or half a day course and thinking that's going to have ticked that box and that's enough. Um, it is a specialist um, area of work and people need specialist skills and knowledge and so they need a really good robust training program to help them with that. But then once they've actually done that learning, the leadership part comes then in supporting those team members to put into practice what they've learned. I mean, so, so often I, I've met people who've come on the courses and then afterwards they're not enabled to actually put into practice what they've, what they've learned and they're so inspired and want to go ahead and do it and it's such a shame then and such a waste of money <laughs> if, mm -hmm. um, if they're not enabled to actually put things into practice. So I suppose for care providers I would say get a good training needs analysis, make sure that everybody, everybody understands dementia, not just the people who are doing the care support, but all everybody comes into contact with um, those, those service users, those residents or um, whatever other services they have. Um, so whether it's somebody who's um, answering the telephone or somebody who's um, uh, you know, doing the administration or the laundry or the cook or whoever, they all should equally understand what dementia is and how it's affecting their residents and be able to communicate well with them. And I think a good test of that um, is that when um, somebody visits a care home or phones them up and asks about um, the service they provide, any member of that team should be able to very proudly say, we are specialists in dementia care. Not we take people with dementia here, but truly they are specialists, which is something quite different to just admitting people to your care service. I like that, and I, I'm very much on plate with um, having everybody understand um, the disease and the services and understanding that they have an impact. I think too often, mm -hmm. you know, we, we categorize people with their housekeeping, their maintenance, their food service, and sometimes they have spectacular relationships with these people and yeah. have a knowledge base that isn't being shared because they're, they're put in a box. And they're they're yes, exactly. not important. And you know, as a family member, to me, that just makes me feel so much more relaxed and confident that my loved one is being cared for when I know that all those levels get it and that they're engaged. Yes. Um, there are some communities here in the U.S., and I love this practice, where every week every employee has to spend, um, and it varies, but 15 minutes to a half an hour every week at least with one, with one resident, um, just on a one-to-one, -one, no matter what their role is. Um, it's just scheduled in as part of their job um, so that they don't lose focus of why they're there. And, um, and I think that that's... Practice, yes. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's there's others where, I mean, I've seen exceptional care where someone might be um, cleaning a room and then gets engaged in a conversation and the nurse comes in and sees something needs to still be vacuumed and she picks up the vacuum and lets them have their conversation. And, and it's not, you know, I'm doing your job. I mean, it's there's not that leveraging going on. It really is a team sport. And um, yes. it's very, very personal. That, that's really good, good. That's really good examples, isn't it? What we were talking earlier on about about the synthesized thinking that yeah. everybody's part of the team, and yes, it's all working towards one common goal, really. Absolutely. 
Yeah, very, very exciting times. I think the 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 um, possibilities are just endless. Um, one of the things that I have seen, and I'm sure that you've seen it too, when you're when you're teaching, is just the empowerment of people believing that they can make a difference as one single yes. person. And um, one of the um, the exercises that I use is just asking people to kind of break down in a really simple terminology of what realistically what can they do? You know, I mean, in the in, a, in the scheme of things, you know, they they probably um, aren't going to cure the disease. You know, we don't have funding for that. So, in a realistic fashion, what can you do? And it might just be engaging people. It might be eye contact. It might be smiling. It might be using care partner versus caregiver. Just really small. It doesn't have to be big. And then I I make them envision what will that feel like to them? How is that person, how are people with dementia going to react to that one change? What do they visualize there? And, you know, those are usually positive thoughts. And then how how is that going to make them feel, which is always positive. And then visualizing if they could get other people on board, what would that look like and what would that do? And over one simple little task like smiling or saying hi or taking a couple of seconds, you know, or giving a person with dementia, you know, eight more seconds to respond to a question before pushing them, you know, um, you know, for an answer, whatever it is. But it's amazing the power that they sense when you break it down yeah. and you get them to feel the difference the task can make in terms of how it's delivered. Um, instead of just focusing on the task. And I think that that's one of the beautiful things that you guys have done over in the UK is you really are focusing on um, the feeling and the emotion and the engagement, yeah. um, much more yeah. so than... Yeah, and we get the, the body language and think, you know, what, not, try and move away so much from the fact of what, what does somebody mean and what are they saying into, well, what are they actually feeling? And then you can respond on a feelings level back to that person. But, of course, um, you've got um, Naomi File as well, of course, and she, she does, um, she's, you know, she's the, uh, the founder of the validation therapy um, <laughs> movement, um, which is very powerful because that validates you know, it shows that the person that they're feeling is valid. That's what that means, isn't it? So, um, you know, that comes that comes from Naomi's from the states, isn't she? Yep, yep. But she really had to battle yeah, so for a position here. You guys embraced her much yeah. more than we did. And really? um, oh, yeah, yeah, we just had her like um, 80th. I think it was her 80th birthday party last year in, in celebration. And um, you know, things are starting to take off more in the states here. But it was really sad. She had to go outside. Um, for the recognition and the power. In fact, I had a, a friend who was taking part in the training for validation, and she um, wants to use my mom, you know, as, as her kind of test yeah. person. And so I went with her for the first session, and I videotaped. And all my friends know that my mom's been in her end stages for four years, and she really does not interact much at all. And we took this video, and Janelle is singing and engaging with my mom and I'm showing it to my friends, and every single one of them said, well, I thought she couldn't do that anymore. I thought she couldn't, I didn't think she was this good. I'm like, she's not this good all the time. But this is the power of this method. These are the moments you can have, you know, if we take the time. And they were just amazed. 
just absolutely amazed. They think at first they thought I was crazy going, oh, you know, Lori's telling us, you know, she's in her end stages and she really can't talk. And, and she, for the most part, she can't, you know. Um, yeah. But there's yeah. these but, you precious, know, the, the wonderful thing precious is that, moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's so important is that it's the, obviously, you know, you, you can see the wonderful impact on the on the person um, who's, who's, who's living with dementia, but you equally get, I mean, the, 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 the payback you get is wonderful too. The, the person who's, who's delivering that, that moment equally gets a wonderful um, oh, feeling yeah. from it, don't they? So it's for, for both, both, both parties. And I think it's important, I absolutely agree with what you were saying earlier on, I think it's really important um, to recognise that sometimes it might not be a massive, um, improvement, a massive change, That's not, but to, to value the little things that happen um, is really important. I think sometimes, you know, care workers and families can get quite despondent because they're they're hoping for a, a massive change, and it might be purely that you get eye contact where there was none before, or you get a smile where there wasn't one before, um, and it's those, those little those little breakthroughs are just as important. Um, and, and a bit like you was, I. I and get, get people to think um, all the time whenever they're with somebody, no matter what they're doing, to think, how can I make this experience at this moment that bit better? And mm-hmm. always be striving to, to, to make, make, the experience, make it an experience rather than just a task. I, t- I talk about having um, an activity model of care as well, so that you know people are often divided over here into they're either doing care or they're doing activities, as though the two things are completely separate. And Activities are seen as sometimes seen as the leisure, you know, the hobbies and, and um, craft work and so on. But I think personal care should be seen as personal care activity if it's done well uh, and the person's helped to engage in it and it's meaningful and, and um, where possible enjoyable. You know, just think about a good example is having a bath, I think. You know, uh, a task approach to having a bath is a minimal amount of water and you're in for a quick scrub and you're back out before you know it. Whereas most of us enjoy um, a really nice long soak in a lovely bubble bath with music playing and candles or whatever, you know, all those lovely little bits and pieces. And we should be helping people um, that we're looking after to enjoy that too. And I know the argument sometimes could be, well, we haven't got the time for that. But by spending that little bit of time in that wonderful therapeutic bathing activity, uh, you can actually in fact have such an impact on the person's well-being and their, therefore their, you know, the emotions affecting the behaviours, what happens afterwards, that you can have actually saved huge amounts of time because the person is going to be so more relaxed and less likely to be carrying out distressed behaviours that they might have done otherwise. Uh, very, very true. And I, I think, you know, for me, what I... The, one of the biggest shifts that dementia has has made in my life is an appreciation for the little things. The big events yeah. aren't important to me anymore. I because there's so many more little moments in your life that you can capture than there are big events. So, I, you know, my my life is much more joyful because I I really recognize and I appreciate them. You know, all these little teeny things like a smile or a touch or a, a comment or a giggle or um, just eyes glistening and, and lighting up, just that connection, those those little, there's so, you can feel your life so much more if we focus on the little things because there's so much more of them. And that's just yeah. um, 
a fabulous thing for me. I mean, it, it has really reframed the way I live my life and look at life in general. Um, it's It's been quite beautiful. And, and I have to thank dementia for that because I didn't get that before this disease. I was still focused on the big yeah. stuff. You know, yeah, well, and, and that's partly our, our society as well, isn't it? That we're focused always on the next thing and the next thing. And I think what um, people with uh, who are living with dementia teachers is is to much be more mindful and focus on the here and now. Yep, definitely. Well, I cannot believe that our hour has flown by. I'm, I would love okay. to have you back on the show again another time. Um, Jackie, how do people get a hold of you? What are the best ways? Um, I know you had mentioned if they're on LinkedIn, you know, they can go to your dementia champions and be part of the group, which I highly recommend. It's just very insightful. The conversations are, are marvelous. Um, they just, they're just marvelous. Um, and then your website, I'm assuming, dimensionchampions.org. Yes, yes. And is there a hyphen? That it's a, there is a hyphen, yes. It's dementia-champions.org, O-R-G. Um, yes, yeah, so that's the, probably the other way. And if, if people go there, then they'll find me on that website as well. So, uh, And all my contact details are on there. Okay. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for all you are doing. You are just, um, you're really a mentor to so many of us, and I really appreciate you taking the time to to share um, all of your insights and, and wonderful wisdom with us. And I look forward to watching your, your work and um, learning more from you um, in the in the years to come. Thank you, Laurie. It's been a pleasure, and thank you very much for inviting me as well. I've really enjoyed it. Okay, we'll talk soon. Thanks again. Bye now. Okay, now. Goodbye. Bye. I want to um, let people know before we transition into our next guest, who is going to be just as powerful and just as exciting as Jackie, but we're going to be talking about being a dementia champion in a whole different light um, that involves the NFL. So that'll be exciting. Um, But I do want to just make a couple of highlights for you. If you didn't hear the last radio show, you might want to go to the archives and listen to that. That we, On that show, we talked about music prescriptions with Coral Health and this new mobile app that's absolutely fantastic, which can help um, shift attitudes, not just for people with dementia, but for ourselves as well. Um, They have tons of research behind what they do so they can help people wake up and go to sleep and eat and change moods. Um, And they have it not only music-based, but um, faith-based as well. And then we had someone talking about the importance of um, mobile activities, somebody coming to you for activities. Our next show is going to be on June 11th um, at a regular time at 10 a.m. Central, 11 um, Eastern Time. And on that show, we're going to be talking about inflammation and Alzheimer's. And so that'll be an interesting conversation. And our last dementia chats, we talked about Um, And those are the webinars I do where I interview people uh, with dementia. We talked about what type of environment would they like to move into when and if the time ever comes that um, they no longer can, can live at home. And so that was a really interesting conversation. We also talked about how best to communicate and phrase a question and how long should you wait Uh, to let somebody respond to your question. And then again, body temperature came up 
um, which is really interesting because a lot of people don't talk about that, but it is a it is a big um, change that happens to many with dementia, and it, it affects their comfort. Our next Dementia Chats webinar will be live on June 11th, and that'll be with Michael and Harry. And then when I had lots of um, fun blog posts that you might want to check out, um, a few videos, um, two by Jane Sherman. One was a um, video that says, please talk to us, not about us, which is about an hour-long video of a panel of people with dementia um, and it's a, it's a, just a nice nicely done video. She also did one um, on the challenges of living with early stage and then the Hebrew House and Riverwalk also did a really fun video with their residents on walking on sunshine. So if you just need a little pick-me-up and something fun to watch I would recommend that you do that. Um, and then PBS is going to be doing a special on the 6th, and so you might want to check your local channels on the PBS special coming up. And then I'm looking for people in the New York, New Jersey area to test out some camera equipment from Samsung. So if you're interested at all in doing that, we, it would need to be for a person with dementia living in that area. Ideally, we're looking for a long-distance caregiver, um, but please reach out to me and we can have a conversation on that. And again, you know, if you're looking for an association, please check out um, Alzheimer's Disease International. They can they can help you out. And if you're looking for a um, trial, uh, the Tau trials are going on. Go to Alzheimer's Studies. So let me go ahead and introduce our next guest. I uh, saw an an article and actually a, a video that was done on her on a news station, and I just had to reach out to her. Her passion um, is just very strong, and I just uh, I think what she's doing is wonderful. Nicole Ivy is our second guest today, and she's a stay-at-home mom, and she has uh, two little boys, age three and four, but she has joined the fight against Alzheimer's disease after her husband's paternal grandparents were diagnosed in 2010. And Nicole is trying really hard to get the NFL to join this fight. Her story, I think you'll find not only interesting, but inspiring. Uh, how might you become a dementia champion in your own right and change the world? So welcome, Nicole. How are you today? Great. How are you? Very good. Very, very good. Um, can you give us a little more background on your um, your husband's um, grandparents and, and how that affected you as a, as a daughter-in-law, you know, um, in terms of dealing with care? Absolutely. I um, joined the family in 2007. We were married in 2007. Um, around that time, a lot of people in his family were talking about their memory and how it had begun failing. Um, and it's something that I hadn't seen because I hadn't known anything else. Um, but over the following years, um, until 2010 when they were diagnosed, I noticed a lot of list-making, a lot of forgotten birthdays, misplacement of names, um, and towards the end of their stay in their home, which um, preceded their diagnosis, they just weren't really getting groceries anymore. Um, their care for themselves was slipping away, and that was when, obviously, my father-in-law had decided to look into longer-term care for them. 
Um, but that was that was how it began, was just small things that we were sort of picking up on, and then once their diagnosis came, um, then we were obviously rest assured that we could follow up with a better care plan once we knew what was going on. Okay, wonderful. Can you tell us, you know, um, basically just a little bit of, about your cause. Um, NFL Go Purple in September is what it's caused. And, and how did you get there? Why why the NFL? So after their diagnosis, I was looking for a way to get involved. I think it's, it's so common um, with family members to think, how is this happening to my family? How did I not know about this until it has happened to my family? What can I do now? And you just sort of sit back, aching to stop the process from happening, and there's nothing you can do other than obviously care for them. Um, so around the time they were diagnosed, I was looking for ways to get involved and started um, the walk to end Alzheimer's with the Alzheimer's Association with my local chapter. And um, I think it was five or six weeks I was able to raise $500 with help of friends and family, and I was just astounded that I had such an outreach from my um, support system. So the day of the walk, I sort of came around this corner in our local town, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and saw this stream of purple behind me. And it was just in that moment it clicked that I can do something more. And I wasn't sure what it was at that point, but I knew that I could. Um, My husband and I are huge football fans, go Patriots. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And we watch every Sunday, um, and I'm just seeing all these crazy hits they're taking. And um, it was shortly after that time that I saw a documentary called Blood Equity um, that chronicles John Mackey's fight and subsequently Sylvia Mackey's fight against dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, And so after seeing that documentary, I thought, okay, the NFL needs to get involved in this because it's their social and moral responsibility as far as I'm concerned that they have this huge platform to talk about Alzheimer's. And unfortunately, I personally feel like it's really left out of the national conversation with regard to health care, and we really need to focus on it so that we can bring about not only awareness but also obviously funding and research. Well, that's good. Have you Now, have you reached out to the NFL? And if so, um, how have you tried? I have. I've sent emails. I've called the commissioner's office. Um, I've tried linking up via Twitter, Facebook, um, obviously social media being so huge right now. I've really been pushing on that front. I haven't gotten a huge response from the NFL. I've gotten some nice notes, some thoughtful notes saying, you know, this is a great cause and we would certainly support any endeavor for Alzheimer's research. Um, But nothing has committed to any, no team has committed to any action. I've sort of gotten a little bit of a runaround saying, oh, well, that's, you know, this person's responsibility to get back to you. You might want to get in touch with so-and-so. Um, I recently was in touch with Sylvia Mackey, who forwarded me some information for contact with the NFL, and I'm hopeful um, will bring about some change. I've also been contacting college football teams um, with the logic that a lot of the people that are graduating are going into the NFL I've also contacted sponsors. I've recently begun contacting media outlets in hopes that we'll gain a greater following to show the NFL that their fans want to see this happen. Yeah, I I I would love to see them get involved. Um Carl Eller is a is a friend of mine. Um and you know we've talked about it before, but he, his schedule is so busy, and I'm I'm going to work on him again some more because I I don't know if he would have some inside roads. I 
I would really encourage our listeners, if you know somebody who might be of influence uh, at the NFL level or college level, please reach out to Nicole or myself because, um, you know, the injuries are unbelievable that are happening um, to, to this group. And they just have a perfect platform to be able to pull people together, you know, um, in a great activity, fun setting. You know, it doesn't have to be scary. It, you know, they can raise so much awareness um, around this that to me it's just sad that it's not being not being utilized. Are there some tactics that you can share with us that, that maybe our listeners and myself can, can utilize to help raise awareness of what you're doing, Nicole? Absolutely. I'm looking for more voices. I have been working tirelessly contacting different media outlets across the nation. I've been targeting um, the cities that have football teams. Um, So if you live near a city that has a football team, or even if you don't, I contacted my local paper and they did an article which helped gain momentum, and I saw increased signatures on our petition um, and also increased likes on our Facebook page. So one of two things is going to make this happen, one of them being a huge following and the NFL seeing that a lot of their fans the majority of their fans want to see this happen, to see that there's follow-through for the people that are taking these disastrous hits. Um, And the other thing that could possibly make this happen, like you said, Lori, is someone knowing an insider to push from within the NFL. And I think the key to this, too, is I want to make it clear. I love football. I don't want the game to change. I don't want to see anything happen to football. And I don't think that the NFL is going purple in any way is a condemnation of the league or is incriminating in any way, shape, or form. I think, in fact, it's actually um, a real positive thing for the NFL because fans can look and say, okay, they're aware that this is happening to their players, and not just to their players. I mean, Alzheimer's affects over 5 million Americans. That's, That's unbelievable. So for them to shine a light on Alzheimer's and say, we need more funding for this disease, it is ravaging families at alarming rates. Um, so for them to get involved and say, we care about this, not just because of our players, but also because of the many, many, many Americans that this affects. I think that's a, a really good point. The game is not going away, just like, uh, you know, soccer's not going away and hockey's not going away. It's it's part of who we are and what we do and what we like to do. Um, one of the things that I'm just going to put a plug in for for uh, another colleague of mine that I think could be really helpful to the sports um, industry is she has come out with this um, reality comprehensive clock test. And um, if teams would utilize this, just take this simple clock test after someone gets clocked on the field, mm-hmm. you know, and gets hit really hard, they can really tell much more accurately if there are issues um, with concussions and different things. And it's 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 very inexpensive to to take the the test to be able to be qualified to to do these assessments. And I think we could protect everybody and still let the games go on, um, which would be just a small piece in terms of being yeah. more conscious in terms of how we're playing the game. You know, we're not changing it, but we're just, you know, raising the level of safety 
in terms of yeah. throwing somebody back in the game. And, you know, that little shift can make a huge, huge difference. And so I'm going to throw this website out for people um, to check on if they haven't. I, I actually went through the testing not to be uh, someone who evaluated, but I just wanted to get a good feel. And I was like shocked at what all this test can tell people. And it only takes like 20 minutes uh, to, to do it. But it's www and then clock test and then rcct.com. That's clock test and then it's reality comprehensive comprehensive um, clock test. That's the rcct after clock test.com. Um, but uh, again, there are there are so many different ways, and you know you get a group in a stadium like that and um just to be able to talk about dementia or show your support i think it's just i think it would be a wonderful wonderful thing for the nfl and for college and and even high school um to be able to get behind and and back um uh, and just I acknowledge actually, yeah absolutely and i actually had i've been in contact with the athletic director for the tar heels um and he sent me a link to a physician there who's doing work Similar to the clock test, I believe, um, it's actually a balance test, and it, it's, a, it's the same idea that after a player suffers a concussion, instead of going by historically how they feel, if they're disoriented, et cetera, um, they can actually test their balance to tell mm-hmm. if they're prepared to go back into the game or not. And with increased awareness for Alzheimer's, we can come up with more devices and more ways to save on head injuries in the future. Yep. Well, the nice thing with the clock test, um, and I don't want to get too far off topic on this, but I do think it's a really yeah. valuable test, is it um, it evaluates all different parts of the brain. And so somebody might be functioning okay in one and might have their balance okay, but in another area still have some damage going on. And it will make that really clear. And like I said, it's all research-based. And it's it's a simple test. It's not intimidating for anybody, and and you can't fake you can't fake your way through the test. You know, it's not like okay, I'll just remember the eye chart. <laughs> you know, it's not like that. Um, and it's it's re- I mean, they can tell if people have had strokes. It can help with incontinence and infections, and um, so it's it's much broader than even dementia um, or concussions as a whole. It really is this test that that tests the various parts of the brain to say, is this working or not? And if everybody has a baseline initially, you know, that could just be something everybody does um, to start with um, when they do their their normal, um, uh, you know, physicals and stuff like that. You just incorporate this into that piece, and then you can look at the two and go, there's something's not right here. You know, we need a little bit more time to figure this out. We're not saying pull somebody out for life from the game, but let's evaluate this and let's let's make sure we're not causing any more damage. Let's let the body heal and repair. And, um, you know, those things are huge, you know, in terms of making a difference um, for, for both, you know, men and women involved in these games. And um, so I think that it's, it's just a really... Uh, neat way um to to again get the conversation going in a non non threatening way um is there a way so you're on facebook and so right. people can go, go to facebook and like you there and 
And when you like um, a page, I also recommend you share the page with your community. Because again, this is about building numbers and having a presence. Um, so don't ignore that maybe many of your friends, family, and colleagues would like an opportunity to have a voice and to be part of the numbers. Um, I think sometimes we think, oh, we're pushing it on people. Well, if they don't like it, they don't have to. But it's amazing how many people want to get involved. And, and I know that for a fact just because of with Alzheimer's Speaks, you know, we've been recognized as the number one influencer online. That doesn't have to do with me. That has to do with everybody else sharing and spreading the word and those those small little incidental clicks are are way more powerful than you can ever imagine. So utilize your power of social media. You don't have to be a a, a whiz king at it, um, but like it and share it. If you've got a Twitter account, tweet it. If you belong to um, LinkedIn groups, you can share it that way too on many platforms or maybe you use other types take those couple of minutes um, to really help Nicole, um, you know, be a dementia champion and, and I'd like shift. To comment on that. I'd like to comment me? on that too, Lori, if I could. Okay. I'd like to just comment on that briefly too, if I could. Sure. Um, I definitely have witnessed the power of sharing on Facebook. And one woman from San Diego, just as one small example of the following that I've created thus far, um, within – Probably 24 hours of her sharing our page, she's located in San Diego and runs the Blondes versus Brunettes for the Alzheimer's Association out there. Um, and within about 24 hours, I had over 100 signatures on my petition coming from San Diego and the surrounding areas. Um, so obviously the ripple effect of she shared it and then a few of her contacts shared it and a few of their contacts shared it. So the results are absolutely astounding just from mm -hmm. sharing it. Very, very um, important stuff. And again, it it doesn't have to take us a lot of time to do, uh, you know, to be an advocate and to to um, to let others know what's going on. In fact, I'm going to go right now and I'm going to post it on all of my Facebook sites and um, let people know that that they can go ahead and um, help with that as well. I've already um, liked it and. Um, so I can't I can't like it again, um, but but I think getting those numbers are really really important. And again, I I've just been shocked at this whole social media thing and how um, interconnected people really want to be. You know, they they want a voice to be heard, they want to feel valued, um, and they want to show that they care, and they can do that. You know. Um, these social media platforms have allowed us to become closer as a community, which I think is really a very, very beautiful thing and um, pretty amazing, you know, all in all um, with things. Are there other things that, that people could do for you um, on this? And, and maybe I should have you talk about the, the blondes versus brunettes and what is that kind of tie in? You had mentioned mentioned that as well. Okay, so I'm not I'm not you know authorized a speaker on this. <laughs> I'm not uh -huh. part of it, um, but I can say that it's a faction of the Alzheimer's Association. They um, do blondes versus brunettes women um, football teams throughout the nation. So my closest one is Boston. There's in June. I'm not sure if it's 
in June for every major city or not, um, but it's just a charity football game, a flag football game. I've been in contact with several um, people who run those games in hopes of partnering later on down the road if the NFL will get on board. Um, I have so many ideas with this. <laughs> uh-huh. But that's, that's one way that we could definitely get the NFL involved as well if they if they bite. Okay. Yeah, because I've talked with a few people, too, with the, the blondes versus brunettes, and it's just kind of a, a fun um, – fun game to raise awareness and again, you know, get people thinking in a little bit different different light, which I think is just incredible. You know, it's the way it needs to it's the way it needs to be. So, well, very very cool. Um is there anything else that you want our listeners to know that we haven't covered at all or um I think we covered most everything. We do have the petition also on change.org. I've seen more movement on there than I think I have on our Facebook page. Um, and I like change.org also because it gives me something tangible to send to NFL and to show to them um, for people mm-hmm. who are not on Facebook or choose to um, not really be part of the social media scene. Um, so that's also something that listeners can um, participate in. And like I said before, I'm really reaching out across the nation to try to push for this. So if it's something as simple as contacting your local newspaper, um, calling your local news station, there's, you know, it's really important steps to take because we just need to get gain a greater hold in different cities. I've seen great outreach. I'm located in New England, so I've seen great outreach from New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Maine, Connecticut. I really like to see that spread across the nation. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, Nicole, I really appreciate all that you are doing um, to to be a dementia champion in your own right and to, you know, the work that you've put into all of this and the effort is, is quite incredible. And so I hope that, uh, you know, through your continuing um, pursuit that you're able to make connections to the commissioner, you know, of the NFL and um, get your voice heard, not just your voice, but all of ours. Um, we need we need those spokespersons and we need those people like you thinking out of the box um, to raise the voice and um, and move forward as a team, you know, and be socially responsible. I, I think that's really what you're asking um, for the NFL to do is to become a leader. Um, you know, they are a leader in their in their own right, um, but there's a whole other level they could step up to, um, being socially their Absolutely, and we've seen it with their campaign for breast cancer over the last three years. They've really helped to shine a light um, and donated also over the course of three years $3 million. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm not looking to do it the same way as they do it for breast cancer. I mean, going purple lightly in that I'm more than happy to um, work out with the NFL if they're interested any variety of ways that we can we can do this. There's a brewery in New Hampshire that um, does a special Alzheimer's brew in September for, and they donate. I think it's fifty cents per bottle. Um, things like that that we can do differently than the breast cancer campaign, but also um, in the same way that we're still raising awareness on the national platform. Yeah, well, and I would be glad to join forces with you in terms of you know what of my. 
my movements now is getting us to become dementia-friendly businesses and communities. And so, you know, I'd be more than glad to provide them education. I've got tons of resources um, to be able to support the families that are going through this and to educate and help people plan with this as well and then um, be able to um, raise their voice and raise their exposure of, of what they're doing on my, my different platforms as well. So, you know, if you ever need me, just holler. I, I would Thank love you. to love to love to be able to to help out. This is a you know it's a huge movement over in um, the UK with with businesses and communities getting on board, and you know they could be one of the first in the US to say this is important. Um, and all they have to do is, you know, Google dementia friendly and they'll be shocked at what they're doing over in the UK. I mean, they've got um, dementia where signias on um, buses, on recycling trucks, on people's That's uniforms, on, on store windows. So it can be done, but we need some brave souls to step up and say this is important and what better uh you know what a better example than the nfl where it's affecting their players and their families um to say we're going to support you in any fashion we're going to make a difference we're going to we're going to turn this country country around and be able to help um really make life better um with this you know it'd be a beautiful positioning uh, for them to do. So, again, thank you for all you're doing. And if people want to uh, reach out to Nicole, you can go ahead and uh, Facebook's probably the easiest. Is that correct, Nicole? Or email. I'm happy to receive email. It's okay. nicole.ivy at gmail.com. Okay, and Ivy is I-V-E-Y. And Nicole is N-I-C-H-O-L-E. Oh, that's okay, and I think I've been spelling that wrong, so shame on me. <laughs> that's totally fine. Oh, no, so it's not. So N-I-C-H-O-L-E-I-V-E-Y at gmail.com. I will get that changed all over the place because I have forgotten the H, so I uh, I very much apologize. Um, but I want to, again, thank you for your time today and all you're thank doing. You and your support. And please, uh, please keep us posted. We would love to hear more from you as things progress. Okay? I will. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye, Nicole. Bye. In wrapping up the show today, I want to um, just invite you again all to our next Dementia Chats uh, webinar. Again, Dementia Chats are where I interview people with dementia. And the next uh, program is going to be on the 11th. And you can go to alzheimerspeaks.com or you can go to Dementia Chats on Facebook and join us there uh, for more information. Again, if you're looking for an uh, Alzheimer's Association anywhere in the world, uh, just Google Alzheimer's Disease International. And last, again, I, I highly recommend that you check out Music First with Coral Health um, and their new app. You'll get three three hours of free music just to test it out. Pretty phenomenal application that can really help people with dementia. And... Um, what else do I want to tell you? Our next radio show will be on the 11th. In the meantime, have a blessed week, and thanks so much for joining us again. And before you exit, if you haven't um, liked us and shared us and tweeted us, I would really appreciate your help and your continued support. Have a fantastic day. Bye now.
Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.